Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth, brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors. Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. Our guest today is Mirav Arem, the co-founder and CEO of Versatile, a startup that is working to bring the power of AI to the construction job site, or what Arem calls the most fragmented and unstructured manufacturing process on Earth. Founded in her native Israel back in 2016, along with Danny Herman, Barack Cohen, and Ran Oren, and now headquartered in Silicon Valley, Versatile has won plaudits in the construction and investment community with its first product, CraneView, which the company rolled out just as the pandemic was starting in early 2020. As the name suggests, Versatile's flagship offering turns the construction crane into the linchpin of the data collection process. Using thousands of data points, it provides both granular and high-level insights into the productivity and efficiency of the vast majority of work happening each day on a construction site. The company raised more than $100 million in Series A and B funding over the last two years, and its product has been adopted by more than 40% of the leading general contractors in the U.S. It has also moved into the insurance space, helping carriers assess and manage risk in the high-stakes construction field. As a female founder CEO in the largely male world of construction, Aren doesn't view her gender as an obstacle or really any issue at all. As she puts it, I think it's a mindset more than anything else. I wholeheartedly believe that if you're solving a really big problem, if you're executing and doing it in really good ways, then your record, your company, your market, and customers speak for you. So let's get to our conversation with Mirav Aran and let her speak for herself. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mirav. Thank you so much for having me. I understand that part of your family has a background in construction and real estate. Can you tell us a bit more about this and how it is connected to Versatile? The story pretty much goes through the fact that uh, my father was a general contractor and my brother is actually a project manager. A couple of years ago, what we fondly call construction debates around my household uh, was a very different debate because that week my brother actually had a fatality on his job site. Um, It's just a devastating event, really. My brother was extremely shaken naturally and it just led to a very different debate and the conclusions coming out of that debate are really the birth of versatile because if you could only empower the people that are trying to control what i call the most fragmented and non-structured manufacturing process on earth our only question that night was really how and and can we offer a better solution you're not trying to override anyone. You're trying to give better visibility. If we could get data out of the job site in a non-intrusive, naturally fitting the workflows way and communicate it back to the people that we wish to empower and actually give that control to and make them the most informed people on site, then we may just have something. I think my emphasis that night was whatever we do, it has to be non-intrusive. The way we extract the data and the way we communicate, everything about this has to naturally fit or we don't stand a chance. People don't change just because you ask them to. And technology will be the last thing people think will help them. So it has to be very, very natural. There was this little posted, drafted that night, literally just a note. I, I still have that note today. We drew the crane and we're like, what if we could use the crane as a data provider? Can it fit on the hook of the crane, which is what we ended up doing? 
we just drafted that and the rest is history. Both you and your brother and your father knew enough about the industry to know that there wasn't yet something similar like that. Yes. It's not about how you get the data. We empower the people who build to have control over their processes through being the most informed person on site. Those people are mainly superintendents. We shed light on events through thousands of consistent, repeatable data sets that you can make sense of using machine learning to provide them with that information in a way that is highly digestible. The how, if you'd like, if, if that apparatus on a crane. And that happens to be how we collect the data today. We knew no one was getting good data out of job sites and no one was translating that data in a repeatable, reliable kind of like data structure to actually enable what we were trying to enable. It's been an incredibly inspiring journey because you see how your users are using it and you get new ideas. So CraneView is your first product. It sounds like it was pretty natural in terms of figuring out that you were going to focus on the crane first. Yes, it touches either directly or indirectly roughly 80% of the processes that we would look to learn. It either drops materials off where they're needed in order for someone to complete the task or it's literally involved in the complete process. You need to make sure that this data actually makes sense and that it does serve your users in the way that you intended. Let me tell you, that's hard, and we don't always get it right. In fact, I think I'd read in one of your previous interviews that one of your first projects was something you described as a failure. You learned a ton from that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I look fondly at all of our failures, and, and I always say that it's the mistakes I make today that I'll learn from tomorrow because I don't even know I'm making them right now. And boy, am I learning. I'm wrong 50% of the time like any average human being, but every time we messed up, it's about how you show up. It's about how you own it. If you know how to take those into learnings, I think we earn points rather than lose points. This was probably the most important demo a, a young company can have. We couldn't, this was a technical problem, but we never actually performed that demo. It was devastating at the time, yet it ended up with an enterprise agreement with that uh, specific large customer. So you can recover. Can you talk briefly about the productivity gains and the safety improvements that the implementation of CraneView has already proved? Um, successful for customers? It starts with that ability to open a highly readable or digestible communication at 5 a.m. before your day starts. If you could look at how you managed your time the day before, what was your allocation of resources to the different trades and how well did we actually use that time? Are there any better decisions to take today? Our customers speak of trucks unloading, for example, is one of their favorites. What actually happened? Did they show up? Did they not show up? What actually came off those trucks? Used to be a bit of a mystery. It's right there and it's clickable to say not only what happened, but how long did it actually take? Where is everything? That's just an incredible power. My personal favorite, though, would always be the way we present outliers. How long does that take you to turn a floor around? And what's your sequence? As we measure, we know your baseline, we know your benchmark, and you know your benchmark. And that is the first time for construction that we actually have measurements. We flag outliers. So we say it's supposed to take you 12 minutes, yet it took you 18 yesterday. If it's a repeated outlier, even more so in terms of it needs your attention. 
we tell you where exactly the extra time went. We flagged a, an outlier like that and the team immediately dismissed it as in, it's a new operator, maybe slower, right? And we said no, because as we break down the steps, we know if it's a movement step or if it's rigging or unrigging. We're like, guys, this is all in the, in the last step. This is unrigging for a specific process. Literally all six minutes come from here. Let's take a deeper look. It's one click away. It turns out that this was a fabrication problem. This would have been a 17-day hit to their schedule. On day two, they nip it in the bud. Not only did they go back to their regular trend, they managed to actually save time and demobilize a crane earlier. We see teams make it competitive. Once you start having those measurements, it's like, why is this taking us six minutes if we can do this for less than those minutes? So if you have 512 columns and you started off with them taking you 16 minutes, Two weeks later, they're taking you 12, and two weeks later, they're taking you eight without any compromise on safety because you're actually understanding your process in ways that you couldn't understand before. Let's just say this is $186 per hour. Just, just do the math. That's what you can actually save, and it's incredible. In some cases, there are jobs where it would be thousands of dollars per minute that you could save. The pace is so great, and there's so many dependent tasks that when you start creating those improvements, the sky is really the limit. Just think about what you can do if you understand the gains that you can get at the beginning of the end of your day rather than in between tasks. It was never measured before. We measure all of that. And the beauty is it's so highly digestible that you don't need an analyst to tell you what the data actually means. It's right there and you can act on it. Your company and product is certainly a pioneer in contact. What has the overarching reaction in the industry been so far to this kind of technology and, and use of data? I've read that you've said that it's a misconception that the industry is slow to adapt to technology. It is a misconception in more ways than one. What I've always said is I call upon all of us, the service providers to the industry. We're here to serve not to save. No one needs saving in the industry. The industry has been here long before we ever showed up. They will build. They're not waiting for you. There is this sense of antiquated industry. That's what I've heard a lot when I was fundraising for the first time, for example. And I said, guys, you got to be kidding me saying that the industry is non-investable, which I did hear at the time. But the trick is really making our products fit. If you're trying to manage change in such a complex environment with people that know their job, they don't want you to come and tell them what to do. And you have to find the right way to do it. I think that's what Versatile does extremely well. I call upon all of us to do it well. This shouldn't be a secret. This should be what we do. If we're here to serve, let's do it right. Then the industry can adopt super fast. Versatile is a living proof of that. So any resistance in the past was not really at all about uh, the industry, but about the kind of uh, services or solutions that were being offered to them. You would, right? If you don't have a good data provider, then you need someone to record and report for you. That's adding to their day. You cannot take your user's time. As I said, like by 6 a.m., there's no one to talk to. They're too busy. I was just on site and one of the superintendents ended up directing traffic. They will do whatever it takes to keep their jobs running. You cannot get in their way. You have to actually be a partner and serve them. When you first were doing demos to folks about Craneview, did you encounter skepticism because they had had experience with things that didn't fit into their workflow? 
a vast majority of our users will start skeptic, either because of their past experience or simply because they don't believe you. My approach to that is, since we're not asking you to work for us, it's easy enough to give us a try, right? And then the burden of proof is on us. But you're not trying to address the ones that naturally get it. When you're presenting any product into a market, if you're only going for those like early adapters, the ones that naturally get it, you're not going to be highly successful. It's the ones that don't get it that you have to fit into what they need. I'm not asking them to change their normal procedures. We'll ask for a battery swap once in a while, but that's just about it. That's the magic of simplicity in the user side. You've had very successful both Series A and Series B uh, raises. You raised during the pandemic in 20 and 21. How was your experience doing it during the pandemic when you were also going to market? Versatile went to market through uh, what we call the Lighthouse program. This was a curated exclusive program where only a handful of general contractors were allowed to come in. Our partners included and still include today companies like Turner Construction, Swinerton and other great names. The Lighthouse program was roughly a year long. We were ready to offer our services commercially, also announcing our partnership with the Crosby Group. We announced it on March 12, 2020 at Con Expo, the same show that shut down the next day, by the way. <laughs> and the world shut down the next morning. The little revenue that we did have at the time, 50% of them went into shelter in place. Watching those job sites turn silent overnight, it's an experience that I'll remember for life. There was no movement on that job site. There was nothing happening. I also made a decision that night uh, and sent an email out to all of our customers to say, we are a partner and we are a part of the solution and we have paused all charges. Despite any contract, it doesn't matter. We will not charge you until we all come back. Single-handedly slicing our very little revenue by 50%, and I'm proud of it. That's what we did and we stood by it. I still needed to fundraise that year. One thing was very clear, and that's the fact that we're already a proven solution. We have trusted customers that understand what we offer and swear by our services. A couple of weeks later, we were back to growing, um, making fundraising at uh, later stages of that year actually possible. I think it was Q3 when I ended up fundraising. And that was a very different experience. Investors they were definitely skeptic where it comes to construction tech. Our numbers, our traction, a lot of things about us were undeniable. It was actually an easy sell, but a different process probably from what I imagined. It was all done on Zoom. We are in Silicon Valley, yet I didn't meet anyone. What I've seen change and also through watching highly successful fundraisers uh, of other construction tech companies is the understanding that the solutions that get it right in construction are indeed worth investing and the industry itself is worthy because the potential is endless this is such an incredible opportunity for investors i think i had a little something to do with trailblazing and allowing investors to see the potential and it's not about versatile it's about the industry and what it stands for i'm our customer's biggest fan we're like maybe two percent done in terms of what we can offer the industry there is so much more that we can and should do. It's a partnership with our customers and it's a journey. And the industry will, without a doubt, break that mentality of endless pilots, which 
is in many cases still a thing. What are one or two important lessons you've taken away from the journey in terms of scaling, especially using tech in a manufacturing industry? I've learned so much. Don't listen to advice would be my advice. Have your own path. You listen to your customers, especially if you're introducing something that is completely new. They don't know. Open their eyes, show them, handhold, be patient, but mainly have that servant mentality that says, I understand you and I deeply care about solving this problem. I'm not in love with my technology. I'm not in love with my solution. I'm in love with solving a problem. I think it's true for literally all products in all industries, but especially true if you're facing an industry that is at least perceived as resistant to change. I don't think the perception is true. It's on me. I need to show you that you don't have to be slow. To me, that's the key. You have to have that mentality. Then when people tell you something's impossible, they mean well, but you have to dismiss it completely or you'll never do anything like there's so many good people along the journey that told me what i cannot do and they all meant well no one was trying to bring me down we have to make sure your customers know that you're in love with solving their problems and then you have to shut down all that noise <laughs> it's really hard then it gets harder and harder actually i thought it would get easier but the noise actually gets louder you were talking about how it's early days and there are lots of challenges ahead as well as opportunities. What do you see as the biggest roadblocks for the next stage of Versatile's growth? How do you approach that? There's a few things that we've already introduced. We shouted out uh, some uh, partnerships with insurance carriers. I enjoy the work with them tremendously. There's so much potential in understanding risk in our industry through consistent, repeatable data sets. And I can't wait to see how we take that into benefiting our customers, taking it to the next level. At the general contractor level, uh, beyond the people that we serve on the job site, there's so much potential using the same data sets and also understanding best practices on how your own people are using data and how proficient they become and using tools that they didn't have before. This is all about introducing tools that people can use. There's so much more to do there. The world is going into a, a recession, so we're looking at that too. What will that do to budgets? But I've never been more convinced that the industry needs versatile and solutions like that more than ever. And that was true in 2020. I think it's true in 22 and going into 23. There's so much more that we can do. I would like to believe that the industry will show that technology solutions can demonstrate extreme hyper growth in consistently growing numbers beyond early successes to prove what we can all do. That will continue to be a challenge for every company that's looking to change the world. I welcome those challenges. I'm excited. I look at every challenge that you would um, speak of and I could show you how it's probably our greatest opportunity. Scale at, at bigger numbers, just offer the right solutions and, and that would kind of like sort itself out. Budgets shrinking, prove that your ROI is far bigger than whatever they're paying you. And it's a no-brainer, right? I'm sure you've been asked this before about being a female co-founder. In terms of the global funding scene, being more inclusive of diverse and female founders, 
has your experience made you optimistic about that? When I introduced myself, I was like proud co-founder. I don't think I could have built anything on my own. It's such a crazy journey. To gender, I normally treat this as a non-issue. I wholeheartedly believe that if you're solving a really big problem, if you're executing and doing it in really good ways, then your record, your company, your market and customers speak for you. I am, however, not blind to the fact that there aren't many females in this industry or other diversity too. I will say that I have literally never seen this as a, a potential block. I think it's a mindset more than anything else. It's how you view challenges, right? I view any challenge as an opportunity. So anyone that is being told for gender or for any other reason that they cannot do something, oh, yes, you can. <laughs> you absolutely can. And don't ever let that stop you because if it's in your head, then you're limited. And God, I, I fall into that trap, not from a gender perspective, but just like as a human being, we all fall into that trap. Build something you wholeheartedly believe in and present it with pride. You will be just as successful as anyone else. Show up, take your seat, and you'll be just fine. Lastly, if you look out over the horizon, say five, ten years, where do you see yourself and the company by that point? And what will success mean? I would measure five and ten years marks by the impact that we have made. Uh, I would like to believe that by that, we truly are the operating system for construction. And our ability to understand and control the process has extended well beyond a single data provider or one use case that we could influence into a wider influence and a bigger impactful platform. That's where I see us go. It's like if you take on Mount Everest, it feels like... You don't see the top. You definitely know it's there. So it's the same. The top is very clear. The path might take us in different routes, but um, the top is pretty much that very large, independent, highly impactful and influential company um, making a difference for an industry that I wholeheartedly believe in. And I want to see the industry succeed and flourish. I want to be a part of what changes for the better in the industry in the next five to 10 years. And I would assume that includes going back to for the start of our conversation, safety records too, right? In terms of improving the safety of construction in general. Sometimes to this day, I, back to where we started, the solution that we created cannot save my brother's worker. The company or technology isn't here to harness people. He fell off the scaffolding despite having a harness and despite having an anchor right there. It's a sequence of events that could have been different. I wake up every morning knowing that we change sequences of events. We influence it in such a positive way that I believe he would have either clipped or not be there and the results would have been different that day. Despite the fact that nothing we do directly indicates that we could have stopped that accident from happening. So yes, it's a big part of what I see in the future through that influence on sequences of events, without a doubt. Thank you so much, Mara, for taking so long to speak. Really appreciate it. This was truly a pleasure, and thank you. That's it for this episode of McKinsey on Startups. 
Thanks as always to our stellar podcast production team, Molly Carlin, Sid Ramtree, Myron Shergan, and Polly Nella. And of course, thank you for listening. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.